Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the student of the game. I am Kyle Nass, the student of the game. And hey, listen, if you're here. All the way around here to talk on the Spoon of the Game. No matter how much Spectrum wants to try to knock me off track with what I'm doing here, doing the podcast, the podcast will live on. But something else, you know, we, 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 we uh, of course, I'm fresh back from uh, the Hall of Fame induction. Went there with the three point conversion, by the way. A lot of fun. Thank you for that. From Controversy Raphael Haynes. Go ahead and check out the uh, three point conversion YouTube channel. See a lot of stuff there with some Hall of Fame content, as well as stuff up on Twitter and Instagram here, the SOTG in the corner, and my article summing up what went down during the induction and how moving that was for different people involved and all that and, and all the thoughts to be had for that weekend. But it's fitting that we did Hall of Fame induction. It's bookended by Hall of Fame inductees. The NFC North had Leroy Butler, and today we're talking about the AFC South, who, of course, the Jacksonville Jaguars were able to announce their first ever Hall of Famer in Tony Baselli, which was a great time all the way around. Hey, got to even talk to him. Uh, in the NFL, um, he also so in the speech mentioned about this time last year, actually, maybe a little bit earlier, brought him in for the draft on Beyond the Buzzer. He was talking with me and Danny Thompson, but he's here now on the student of the game. My man, the champ himself, Travis Holmes. What's going on, buddy? Doing well, bro. Doing real well. Sorry for the scruff. Uh, I, I got to take care of it, but... Do not uh, apologize <laughs> for that, beauty. I'm even going to give you a bigger nameplate than you put for yourself. That's how much I... It's, now, now that you're smiling, it shows even more. It's beautiful. Don't you care oh, about that. Anyway, something else you shouldn't have to apologize for, the Jacksonville Jaguars, especially with induction weekend. They're having them having their first inductee. Tell me what you think about Baselli being inducted, man. Oh, I think it was past time. It was it was obviously past time. Um, he's not like uh, some of those other uh, people that are entered in those Hall of Fame conversations. Matt Stafford, uh, Julian Edelman. I um, mean, he's he is actually someone who is deserving of uh, being in that conversation. So it was, it was absolutely past due for a small market team such as ours. Uh, so, um, you know, definitely well, well deserved. Tony Baselli. Uh, let's let's get, you know, Jimmy Smith and Fred Teller into those conversations now, you know, in the next in those coming few years. He said the very same thing. You heard me mention it earlier. That was what he called for. Um, I asked him about it specifically, and that was his answer, man. So I'm glad to hear you're aboard. We oh, can yes. have a conversation uh, with, about John Matthew Stafford for a different show. I'm not here to say you're wrong. I just think it's an interesting <laughs> conversation. This isn't like some other takes you've had in the past. I'm kidding, Travis. All right. All right. No, listen. Uh, great to have you on, man. This is the banter you're going to get with me and my former flag football teammate, and it's just Fun. He's still smiling through that. Yeah, 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 of course. We even disagreed about how good your beer is, Travis. Damn it. Anyway. Well, yeah, this is this is the Dominican Republic beard. I just haven't had a chance to get to it. The wife hates it. So, yeah, oh, that's yeah. why I apologize. Yeah. So guess what? If she hates it, I do too now. Anyway, 
Let me, let's get into it. Speaking, okay. speaking of things that have, have been hated, oh boy, the Jacksonville Jaguars former coaching staff, certainly on that list, man. Listen, I, I, I spoke with Maurice Jones-Drew about it while I was there in February. He mentioned, um, I, I talked to him about, you know, Byron Leftwich and that possibility and how cool that would have been, yes. you know, had it come to pass. But he mentioned, I'm curious just to see what Coach Peterson will do uh, as Trent Balky has brought him in. And I'm sure you'll bring up Balky and what you think of him plenty. Hmm. But um, just by itself, Peterson to Peterson from Urban, how much addition by subtraction do you see in that just in general? Because I see a ton myself. I see a ton of addition from Doug Peterson to uh, – sorry, from Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson. However, and this that comes with the that comes with the caveat because I believe that Doug Peterson is a quality coach. He is, but I also believe that he's probably pretty equivalent to Doug Marone, and that that's a that's an interesting little uh, way to bring it all the way around, back around town. Because at the end of the day, if Miles Jack wasn't down, never happens. The Jaguars play the Eagles in that same Super Bowl, and there's a conversation about whether or not they would have won that game. And then all of a sudden, Doug Marone is Doug Peterson, literally in every other way. And so that is a quality, defensive-minded coach going to control the lines of scrimmage, you know, solid 500-plus coach. Just That's going to make sure he has a very disciplined team. Generally speaking, they're the same guy. So there's some com- there's some back and forth on that. Like, all right, he's a, he's going to be a good coach, and he's probably going to give you that 500 record, you know, seven to nine wins. Great. What does that mean overall? Oof. That's that's the question of the hour, though. Uh, and I, I, I'd hate to speculate at this point because we still have a snake in the front office that's going to kind of be that little wild card that's going to uh, change this conversation over the next you know two to three years. So tonight's episode is brought to you by the Trent Bulky Support Group. Are you a Niners fan? <laughs> Are you a Jags fan? Then come here and share your pain. You know, I, uh, I can't buy khaki pants anymore. You know, anyway. <laughs> no, man, listen, I, I get it. Um, the snake in question um, yes. and, and, and all of that being, it's going to continue to, to play. But more immediately, I, I guess what I'm asking is, how much do you think Urban Byers slowed the development of one uh, Trevor Lawrence? So that's, that becomes real interesting. Uh, Urban was obviously a net negative you know, to not just, you know, Trevor, but also just to the the entire team, the the other coaching staff, like the the position coaches, the coaches that already had a foot out of the door. You know, five weeks, seven weeks into the season, some some even in training camp. You know, like like we know this now that these guys were already like checked out mentally, coaches, players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, in essence, that was just. This was a a, re, a redo year. Um, they Trevor kind of lost a little bit as far as his development goes there, but I'm, the the hope is again the the hope is that just as much as a train wreck as Urban was, that Doug gets everything back to just square one and just all right, cool, Trevor. Let's start over. Let's try to start teaching you the basics and just kind of get this figure out where our true true bottom is. Where is the where are the Jaguars' true floor? That was not, even last year, that was not a three-win team. Mm-hmm. It's weird to say that because anybody who watched any of the games, 
that looked like a three-win team for much of the season. But now you hear what happened behind the scenes, and you can objectively say, realistically, that was a six to seven win team. And hey, you know, listen, if you follow Travis on Twitter at Trav Likes Bacon, like we see below, he will tell you to the exact extent. That's amazing he's saying that because he will be the first to throw his team under the bus. No question about that. It's, no, no, let's let's call it what it is. I am a former UCF cornerback, former, you know, film review expert for uh, SB Nation. I, you know, coached at Northern Michigan University. Like, so I'm going to look at the game differently than a lot of Jags fans that I talk to even because they're fanatics. You should be a fanatic. But unfortunately, I'm also a fan of the sport and I'm going to, Tell me, what does the tape say? What does the film say? And that's going to be heavier than my fandom, unfortunately. So, to say that you're sort of a student of the game? Ah, uh, sort of, yes. <laughs> and my good callback, sir. <laughs> um, so, in all of that being said, yes, I love the team with all my heart and soul, but I'm not going to just pretend I don't see what I see. Mm-hmm. So, what I see tells me that the Jaguars lost four of the, out of their six games that were, you know, a, one possession games. I was going to ask about history. History tells you that that nearly every year that flips. So the Jaguars win four out of those six games. All of a sudden, you're a five-win team. That literally is your. That's what the train wreck happening under Urban Meyer. So this the floor for you know for Doug Peterson has to then be six to seven wins. That is literally the floor because that's what we had last year. And then you add in the addition of all the different free agents. You add in, you know, having Travis Etienne back. That's basically an additional first round pick. Um, You know, you add all of this in and we have to be talking about realistically. And I'm a pessimist as far as it's concerned, just based on the film. You heard him say you you have to realistically be looking at the Jaguars as a nine win team, which is wild. Especially coming from me. Uh, But no. That's that's kind of what I'm expecting of them is a nine to ten win, challenging for the wild card, playing meaningful games in November and December team. That's truly what I see from this team at this current point. All right, Ashley, I think I lost Nash. Yeah, there it is. Okay, Spectrum's gonna do that. Spectrum sucks. Anyways, here's. Yeah, no, listen, I, I like what you're that's it's very I'm very shocked. You you went out of your way to tell the world, be shocked. I said this. I'm glad you did. Um, and, and I'll even add this. You mentioned Intian. I was gonna try to say before Spectrum intervened. I talked with um one of the members of their coaching fellowship, uh PJ mm-hmm. Jack, who had said Travis Intian with next level speed, he he was he was for a guy who's a wide receiver slash quarterback in his pedigree, he was pumping mm-hmm. up the running back, something crazy there. And then surely, shortly, you know, days after that, me uh, that day I was in camp, he's breaking off big runs and doing a lot of amazing things there too. So I can yeah. definitely see where you're getting at with the running back core. Let me take it to the defense. I mean, you mentioned being a corner, formerly yeah. playing for UCF. Um, Shaquem Griffin, man, you think he's underappreciated overall? I mean, he's certainly, I could argue the, uh, most talented guy at his position on the defense currently. Currently, that's going to be a hard one because you, we we have a Darius Williams now, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a tough one because he was a really, really, really good cornerback the second half of last season. And so let's just call it one A one B. At the end of the day, I think he is being underrated because he was on a very bad defense with very little pressure last year. So having him as your either one A or one B either one, especially in this division, 
I think we're going to be, you know, mighty surprised just looking at how well he's going to play. You know, just looking at the analytics, how much better he's going to play than last year. All we have to do is just have a little bit more press. Just, just, just some, just some, just be in some of these games to give the defense and the, the, the ability to have, you know, more pressure. Like, we, again, we were playing against the Texans and losing by double digit points early in the season. That's a train wreck team. Yeah. And we're still not even close enough to make them want to pass the ball or to put it into to obvious passing situations, things of that nature. Like, to, that allows them to get, you know, those opportunities for those interceptions, tip balls, things of that nature. So, no, I think we we may, we may be mighty surprised just based on the addition of, you know, Darius Williams, the addition of, of Foyer Olokun, uh, the addition of Fat, of um, the, our $15 million defensive tackle. He didn't play in the preseason. Uh, our defense will realistically be a top 10, top 15 defense. That's not like game. That's not world changing. It's not 2017. But a quality top, you know, middle of the pack, top, you know, top half of the league defense was would be a significant change just in Duval County, like right. that in and of itself. In and of itself. Well, um, and you mentioned the personnel. I'd also ask just a little bit of organization on the offensive side to bring some stability would be enough to even make that to 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 improve that mm. outlook as well. That's a great point too, man. And listen, the reason why. I give Shaquille Griffin all the credit that I do because I never actually personally covered him. I covered his brother. I didn't get brother. those in 2017 at UCF. Um, and, of course, now I'm covering them with the black and gold banner. At, bing! Cheap promo. But yeah. um, the, the, uh, the, the thing I wanted – here's the segue with that. He held DeAndre Hopkins to three catches and I think like 20 or 30-something mm. hit the yards, but it was to three catches. But the reason I bring that game up against the Cardinals is Christian Kirk destroyed the Jags. And yeah. I think it's that alone that got Bulky's attention. You and I, back around the Father's Day time, had a discussion that you think that receiver core is in the top 25 out of 32 teams. Has anything changed your pessimism? Oh, no. See, I think you actually overestimated where I, where I thought they landed. Um, you believe that they were in the top 25. I believe they were in the bot. I believe that they were in the bottom five in the NFL. And I challenged and I challenged anyone to tell to show me five receiving cores that are worse than the Jacksonville Jaguars current pass catching corps. I can uh, make a case that the rest of the division at receiver is worse right now. The rest of the division in Jacksonville. I'm sorry, in, in uh, the AFC South is worse than the Jaguars. Oh, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Indianapolis. I can't. Okay. I don't. I don't see how you could keep Indy. I can also give you Chicago. I can also argue for um, now that Watkins is hurt for the Packers, but I won't do that. And I can also give you. Um, see, I did this before a show. I should have written it down. <laughs> uh, but you asked for me to give you those. No, yeah, to be better than top twenty-seven. But I think I feel like so. I got the brown. I got the the bears there too. You're not arguing with the bears. I say right. No, no, no. I don't. I, I thought I've sat down and thought about this heavily because this is the thing is the thing is this is me pessimist Jags fan based on the tape still saying still saying yes yeah, still saying I think the Jaguars have a bottom five receiving core and I still believe based on historical data based on the analytic based on what's happened the last seven football seasons in a row just based on how much they spend in free agency and et cetera et cetera et cetera new coach all of that 
that they will still be a nine to 10 win team, even though in spite of the fact that they have a, a boo-boo receiving core, um, <laughs> we're going to just call, we're going to call it what it is, but it doesn't have to be great. If, if, you know, if Peterson can have them schemed open, if he can just, just do enough, just like with that Philly team, if he can just do enough to have a 900 receiving, you know, multiple, maybe 900 yard receiving receivers, uh, Focused on you know James Robinson, sprinkling Travis Etienne, Trevor Lawrence to spread the ball around. You know what? At the end of all of it, if he can do enough, that would just based on again the team we were looking at last year, that would get us a nearly 500 team. You get lucky with injuries here and there, and all of a sudden we're having a different conversation. Like we truly are talking about this team shocking people just by being uh, disciplined, just by being you know coached right like just just by being average especially in this conference i think that in and of itself can do it and i saw an interesting uh tweet by field yates that we were talking about it back in march um mm-hmm. that was basically every single team that led in spending in free agency for the past seven years straight seven years in a row up until last year um one they they improved their win uh, probability by three to seven games Consistently, every single year, the next season, that if you spent the most in free agency, and that's including the 2017 Jacksonville Jaguars, like you improve by three to seven games. So again, that's our floor is just based on that. Is that's about nine wins, like uh, that's six to nine win range, depending on how you want to say that falls. Um, so I truly believe we have a solid opportunity here. If we can, based on that, you know, fourth place schedule that we're going to be playing against, get lucky with a few injuries, you know, it doesn't hit our team and hit maybe hits one of the other teams like that. And in this suspect division, that seems to be wide open for the taking. Even if Indianapolis wins the division, you've got a chance for wild card. I think we have a solid opportunity to, you know, make some noise with this new coaching staff, new players, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, and and listen, I, I don't necessarily share in your optimism, but your logic is well reasoned, and, and I'm with you on that. I I I I think they have a slightly tougher schedule overall yep. than last year, but I'm not going to say it's unfavorable, right? You know, they they do have, <clears throat> excuse me, they do have the NFC East in there, and there's some games I think that aren't necessarily, they're not great teams, but I think there's matchup problems, and the, okay. And listen, let me keep it. Let me keep it here in my home turf. The thing I'm most concerned about that offense is Cam Robinson's inability to stay on the bleeding field. And they just extended him this past season. That's that's why I'm most concerned with that because you can't help the club in the tub. We talking about you know on paper, Cam's a fine tackle. I got no problem with him. But I being in that press box as often as I was and hearing Cam Robinson listed questionable over that PA has impacted my ability to go nine game optimistic with you. I do have the Jags at six, but I think I did some toss up games in and I call it negative bias. If you want um, more often than that, I ended up picking against the Jags on that. They you should, you should, but in, but in your defense, what I hear you saying is, Doug Peterson can make that big a difference. Trevor Lawrence can make that big a difference. These running backs can get make that big a difference. And based on what I saw in camp, I can't tell you you're wrong either. I mean, so that's uh, I know it's a it's a it's a three game difference between us, but I so so hear me out. Hear me out. The Jaguars the Jaguars beat Indianapolis, beat Buffalo, and beat Miami last year. 
That's right. With with their head coach um, up his with his hand up a skirt of of his non wife oh. uh, uh, up <laughs> up in Ohio. We got you know coaches literally updating their resumes on LinkedIn in week two. You got players that's just not they they have no care, they no respect for these guys at all. You got players out there not trying to play. You got Travis Etienne coming out this year saying, yeah, he's happy, he missed, like he, not happy he missed it, but he didn't miss anything. Basically, essentially, yo. <laughs> if that team showed up, the team that showed up in week 17 against Indianapolis doesn't even have to show up every week. It's just something similar to that. With the all the additions, with the incre- with the improvement of coaching, again, just that in and of itself gives them those toss up games. That's what I was talking speaking of uh, previously. That's all. No, you're absolutely right. And, and I mean, listen, here, here's where I am. I got them split in the division, right? I think I think they steal <laughs> from everybody, so that's that's definitely a positive. Um, I think they go zero and four AFC West. I don't disagree with that. I actually said something similar to that online recently. I think I had them winning. I think I had them going one and three. Uh, okay, but so we're with with me. If I'm saying zero and four and three and three, I'm already at three and seven. And you're going to tell me you're going to win another six games out of that. Listen, it's the NFC East. I, I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm just telling you I don't share with that. And hey, listen, if you're right, you can be on this show with that beautiful beard and grin and be like. Your picks are boo-boo, just like I said the receiver <laughs> was. I, I have no problem with that. Hey, man. Again, I don't want to – I don't necessarily – I'm not here to to be right on this. I'm basing this on the data. I'm basing this on what's happened literally every year over the past seven years. But that there's always stats that can be outliers. So I, I own that all day. This is not me being a fanboy. This is not me being a homer. This is just me saying, hey, based on what I see, they're going to win six games. There's a possibility that they could go up to nine or ten if someone gets hurt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's kind of just wh- where I'm uh, standing on that. But I, but I, let me just also say this, just because I didn't earlier. Yeah, take one shot, bud. That Theo Yates thing that I was mentioning earlier, yeah. with that the the team that leads in free agency and spending wins three to f- seven games that next year, I want to put that caveat out that there are some bad news associated with those teams never consistently stay good. The year at following that improvement from three to seven games, those teams average losing three to eight games more that following season. So it's not that they improve necessarily; it's just that. Those changes give them a quick, you know, bump up. Maybe get, get them a harder schedule, also, and it's and then all of a sudden you may see that those free agency added those, those additions to free agency just weren't long term um, solves, I guess. Well, and to your point, a lot of that money thrown at the free agents was at the receiver core that you're now referring to as Boo Boo anyway. But mm. you know, mm. that's a whole other question too. I, I I'm glad you brought up those stats. Those are going to be interesting to watch. And um, listen, for what it's worth, even though I don't agree with you, I hope you're right because I'd be all about going to a Jacksonville Jaguar playoff. Granted, I don't think they'd be hosting, so I probably won't. (laughs) Anyways, Travis, man, tell the good people where you can be found. And hey, we'll talk more Jaguars in the future. Don't worry about that. Yes, sir. I can be found on Facebook, Travis Holmes. Uh, I can be found on Twitter. Twitter, as you can see, Trav likes bacon because I love bacon. Um, it's unfortunate that I've actually had to become a vegan these past two months. Don't judge me. I hate it. 
I hate it with a passion. But no, it's, it's 17 pounds down, so let's keep it moving. Hey, listen, uh, <laughs> added sugar, and that sucks too. But whole other yes. Thing. Yes. Um, so, yeah, if you have any questions on fantasy football items or you have any questions just on some film and you maybe you don't know what you're seeing. Uh, yeah. Let me know. I'm here for it. I'm all here for the great conversation, especially around football. Just don't expect me to tell you what you want to hear. I want to tell you what I see. Good for it. <laughs> My man, Travis Holmes. Thanks for coming in, Champ. We'll see you next time, brother. Thank you, brother. All see right. you later. Listen, there's a reason why I hang out with that dude off the air is because he's smart, he's intelligent, and he's funny. He's got a handsome beard. Anyways, speaking of smart, with more great takes, I when I go Houston lately and I talk Texans, thanks to my good friend Mike Patton for introducing me to this guy, I go to Patrick Creighton. When I'm recording here, he normally has his show going on Houston ESPN 97.5. So I did a little pre-record with him, and he's going to come in and talk a little something-something about the Houston Texans coming up here. Give it up for Patrick Creighton. And as promised, ESPN 975's uh, Patrick Creighton in Houston, of course, right? We got we to make sure we mention that part. There's a lot of 975's out there. I was on a 985 here in, in the Orlando area, but 975 nonetheless in Houston. Late hits. And, of course, that'll come on 7 to 9 Central Time, 8 to 10 Eastern for those here listening in my native state of Florida or wherever on the East Coast, wherever else. Just find this man to talk Houston sport in general, anything professional for sure. And in this case, obviously, we're going to talk Texans. Patrick, thanks for coming aboard, man. Always great to talk ball with you. Always great to text with you about it, too, because whether I'm doing it there or following you on Twitter at Creighton one as you see down there below, um, it's always a fun time following you. I, I know we texted a bit about the draft and some other things here and there, but the, the, the title that I'm putting on the AFC South preview is Running Uphill. Because I feel like, to some extent, every team in the division has a little something they're overcoming. What would you say about, in general, the state of the AFC South? Uh, I think it's very much a division in transition. Uh, I'm not uh, entirely sure that the Titans will be as good as they were. Uh, you know, they lost. You know, losing AJ Brown's a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's a hard guy to replace, and you know, you're you've taken one of the big weapons away from Ryan Tannehill, this, this little Tannehill resurgence. And you're kind of trying to put all the, the load back on a Derrick Henry who's coming off an injury. And you're, you're really hoping that Derrick Henry is going to stay healthy for the whole season. And it's asking a lot when you're giving the ball to a guy 300 plus times a year and saying, Hey, listen, don't get hurt. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot to ask. And, and now you're, you're asking Tannehill to take on more of the load because you've, you've lessened his talent on the outside. So I'm not sure that they're going to – I'm not sure they're necessarily going to be as good as they were. Uh, Indianapolis is interesting to me. You know, another new quarterback. Every year they have a new quarterback. So, uh, you know, uh, Matt Ryan. Look, obviously Matt Ryan is better than Carson Wentz, and Carson Wentz should have got them to the playoffs last year, and that, that loss in Jacksonville is just completely unforgivable. Uh, so I would expect that they will be better. But, again, usually when you have a guy who carries the workload that Jonathan Taylor took last year, Mm -hmm. there's some regression back to the mean the following season. Uh, teams are, you know, look, teams are going to stack the box. They're going to try to force them to, to move the ball outside. And, uh, I think they have okay talent outside, not world beater talent outside. Uh, I also think they're a very fundamentally sound team. They're, they're good in the trenches. They're, they're solid defensively. Uh, I think Indy right now, I would say Indy would be my favorite to win the division. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and the look, the Jags, as long as Trent Balky's the GM, I trust the Jaguars to stink. <laughs> if there's a way to screw it up, they'll find a way. way i look make the fact that he hired balky to begin with and now he's kept him on when nobody in the world wants to work with that guy right uh you know this is the guy who sabotaged his own team because he felt he didn't get enough credit for the 49ers uh run through uh multiple years of, of conference championship games and a super bowl run that only jim harbaugh got the credit so he deliberately tanked his own team to fire his coach because ownership wouldn't just let him fire him because he wanted to he tanked his own team and then he couldn't rebuild it i mean pat i gotta i gotta cut in and say this i normally have a 49er hat on i know this pain all the real i'm glad to have somebody who's not a niner guy on here confirming all of the above, over and above what Travis Holmes has said, because, you know, he was in the previous segment there. I know he's going to have some stuff to talk about with Trent Balky. Just look look at his Twitter handle that says Balky hasn't proven anything yet. That should tell you everything you know. So, I, I yeah, I even I even asked Mojo about it uh, in February when I was at, uh, at some pre-Super Bowl events. And he kind of danced around the question, but you could tell he would he he, he understood why byron did what he did and you know he had said he was curious what peterson's gonna do under balky that's a fair point but that doesn't actually sound like there's a lot of confidence either uh listen i'm as confident in trent balky building a winner as i am in both a walking outside and being struck by lightning twice uh, <laughs> and hitting powerball at the same day so yeah it's, um i know if his daughter is watching this she'll probably get ticked off Sorry, honey. The truth hurts sometimes. Uh, this is—he's—he's he's not a good GM. He might not even be a good person. Well, we can certainly speak to the former more than the latter. We'll leave that at that, man. But I no, said might. I said might. You, yeah, you did say might. I, I, might alleged it's in the same category. Possiblemente. <laughs> but, but, but let's let's centralize it a little bit more to your home turf, there, my guy. Like I'm, I'm going through, I'm going through the roster. There's some things, um, there are some positions where I'm like, I see hope. There are some where it's less so. But in your mind, like, first of all, give David Mills credit. He may not be the best quarterback in the NFL, but considering the stuff that he had to deal with last year and, and that roster, as we talked about, could have gone a lot worse is what I will say for him. But in your mind, I'm looking at this roster. What Who, who do you believe would be the most exciting player position group that you're dealing with there with uh, the Texans? Well, look, I'm excited to see Davis Mills, see if he can if he can pick up the uh, the next step or two in the progression. The, the progress that he made from the beginning of last year to the end of last year was he jumped the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. and, and he did this behind a makeshift, beat-up, awful offensive line that had what the, set, the worst run game in the league. They had one wide receiver. Uh, they had a, a hideous, hideous defense that couldn't stop Katie High School. I mean, for all the things around him, couldn't run the ball, save, you know, a paper bag. It was, it was terrible. That he was still able to be successful and be the, the, 
really, he, he was the best rookie quarterback down the stretch. Last five games of the season, he was the best rookie quarterback in the NFL. Not Mac Jones, even though everybody wants to, you know, stroke the ego of Mac Jones, who, you know, played pretty well early in the season. And as the season went on, began to fade. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly wasn't a Trey Lance who, you know, couldn't even get on the field a whole lot while Jimmy Garoppolo was playing with one hand. Yeah, I mean, both of them would return in incompletes from where I sit. But, yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, Justin Fields, I think he just got sacked again. <laughs> the 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 the, uh, the the other rookie quarterbacks. I mean, uh, the kid in New York scores more off the field than he does on the field. Whoa, so, Zach Wilson shot. Hey, listen, that I I have I have shown that I have no I have no confidence in the Zach Wilson pick. I'm with you there too, brother. The the idea of of all the the banging on on Davis Mills that you know he's like the worst for this class rookie quarterbacks. Why? Because of Dre. he wasn't drafted in the first round. Uh, he outplayed all of those guys the final five games of the year, and he did it under maybe the worst set of of uh, of conditions there were. I mean, who who had a worse setup than Davis Mills, Trevor Lawrence? But isn't Trevor Lawrence supposed to be the next coming? So shouldn't he have been a little better to to overcome it? I mean, Davis Mills uh, did he have more touchdown passes than Trevor Lawrence? I mean, he might have. Yeah. Well, and I he, you know, and, and let's face it, he didn't start a whole lot. He didn't start as many games. So uh, there's there's definitely something there. I thought Mills last year showed showed good poise in the pocket. He's not super athletic like these other guys are, but he's athletic enough to extend the play. You, you don't have to be, you know, a track star uh, at the quarterback position. And, and, yeah, I know when you see guys like uh, Lamar Jackson and and Patrick Mahomes and and you see these guys who are so athletic uh, and they're able to just take off and, and make dynamic plays. They don't need Davis Mills to do that. They just need him to extend the play. Who's the slowest quarterback in the NFL? Tom other, Brady? I was about to say other he, than Tom Brady. Yeah, He's pretty good, right? I mean, as far as I know, Tom Brady's never won a race in his life. <laughs> well, let me, let me let me spin this on its head. I'll agree with you, but I'm going to do it a different way. Like, I would say that in this era where, you know, if Tom Brady came in now, he might not have even gotten drafted, right, because of his inability to move and listen. We've all seen we've all seen the uh, Underwear Olympics picture of him. Like, I, I keep using what I'm calling the Beatles demo defense, okay? If you ever heard the demo cut of the Beatles, Patrick, they were awful. I would not have signed them either. And then look what you got. So, like, with all of that in mind, I don't think I don't think Tom Brady would be drafted now with all that. I say all of the above to say this. The reason why Davis Mills would is that good enough concept. In this day and age, the NFL quarterback has to be at least somewhat mobile. Like, I I, I think he said he and maybe like a Tua Tungavailoa kind of set the baseline on, on how mobile you need to be. Uh, Tannehill. Uh, kind of set the bottom line on how mobile you need to be. You need to be at or or ab above this line as far as the ability to move. It. And Mills meets that. I'm with you there. Yeah, look, if, if you can spin away, take three steps, and unload the football, you're mobile enough. Boom. Yeah, I like that. That that's a that's a yeah, that's a good description. I like that. I like that. Uh, I, I I mean, now if you want to be the Titans and go next level with mobility and draft Malik Willis for your future, that's up to you. I find that interesting. We'll see. I think I'll talk to Mike Patton about that a little in the show, but. Yeah, I, I I like that that good enough mobility. Like if 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 uh the GED is the good enough defense, we'll call GEM good enough mo the gem, if you will, of this quarterback, uh Davis Mills. One hundred percent. Keeping it to uh 
my home turf, though, in the trenches. Do you think they've done enough to augment the line to at least make that a little bit better? Like, I like Laramie Tunsil, but I think we're both in touch with the fact that he got dramatically overpaid for, obviously. Um, but I think him and some of the other pieces that are that are on that line now are at least an improvement. I'm not here to say world-beating, but, like, they're middle of the NFL and trying to protect Mills. That can only make the offense look better, right? And look, Laramie Tunsil played like he didn't want to be in Houston last year. Yeah, and sure. the fact that he never came back from that injury told you he wasn't sure he wanted to, to be in, in Houston last year. And the truth of the matter is, well, can you really blame him? I mean, <laughs> it was such a freaking mess. I mean, the idea that, you know, the coach was the guy who was the coach and, you know, nothing against David Kelly, but he had as much business being the, the, the head coach of the Texans as I did. So uh, it, it just, it didn't make any, any sense that, that that guy was, was the head coach. It was like a, nobody wants this job. So this guy, well, we really like his enthusiasm. Well, that's great. Make him a cheerleader. Uh, it's, <laughs> it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to have him there. And, and uh, I think that kind of reverberated throughout, uh, throughout the team. Uh, and Tunsil coming back this year seems to be a little more motivated, seems to be, uh, you know, at least a little bit more feeling like the team is going in the right direction. I think people in general feel the team is going in the right direction. They've gotten away from, you know, Cal McNair is a dunderhead. They've gotten away from, you know, the Easter Bunny and, and, and all that nonsense. And they've kind of bought into, look, this is Nick Casario's show. It is Nick Casario's show. He runs the shot. He runs the show. He calls the shots. He's in charge. He's got a plan, and he's executing. And so far, well, he is. So, uh, as long as Nick Casario is the guy in charge, and you know it's Nick's way and not anybody else's way, well, at least you feel like the Texans have a path. They're on it, and the path is going somewhere positive. Uh, I thought last year he did a terrific job with limited draft, uh, limited draft picks. And by all accounts this year, I don't think you'll find anybody who will tell you the Texans didn't have a strong draft this year. There's a lot of high expectations for the guys that they took. And one of those guys, you know, the offensive lineman from, from Texas A&M, he's probably going to slot right in uh, at left guard. And that left side of the offensive line should be should be pretty solid. Now, Tunsil's not a great run blocker, mm -hmm. but Green is a very good run blocker. Kenny Britt's a pretty good run. I'm oh, sorry, Justin Britt is a pretty good uh, run blocker. So you'll, you'll have the ability to – you should hope that you'll have the ability to open some holes in the middle of the line. So far, opening holes uh, for the line, the run game has still been a challenge. They haven't been so good at it in camp this year. But, you know, you, you've, you're putting new guys. There's at least two new faces on the line. And then Titus Howard moving back to right tackle. So, essentially, you've got three guys in different spaces uh, move, who've moved around. And then there's, it takes a little bit of time for that to, to gel. But right. that being said, you know, Titus Howard, not a good run blocker. He's more of a pass blocker. Uh, Larry Tunsil, better pass blocker than run blocker. Uh, at right guard, they're, I still think they're really going to struggle. Uh, they signed A.J. Can, who's not a very good player. Mm -hmm. uh, the Jaguars were willing to let him go, which tells you just how good he is. Uh, and the Texans gave him a two-year deal for over $10 million. So why? I don't know. He actually grades out worse then Matt Sharping, who they already have, who is now looking at a roster bubble, because if he doesn't win that job, he's probably out of one. Mm -hmm. uh, although I, I can't see anything on film that tells me that I'd rather have AJ Can than Matt Sharping. And I know I don't want Matt Sharping. Uh, so there is still that, that hole at right guard that they haven't 
addressed, really addressed yet. Uh, but that being said, this line should be, if it's healthy, it should be better than it was. You, you figure they'll be uh, at least average at four positions versus one. So, you know, so it's, it's a big difference. Upgrade. Yeah, that, that, that was that was I mean, that's all I was asking for was an upgrade for this group this year. Not necessarily. Again, I'm not if they if they were a top 10 line, we'd be having a different conversation. And, and I mean, I, I, I'll say the receiver core, I think, is kind of the same, too. They're just a slight upgrade. They're obviously not super good. Um, but they're, they're a slight upgrade over what you've had in the past. And, and let me go ahead and get a couple more questions in here. I want to transition over to the defense. You mentioned their inability to stop people last season. Um, I, is there and like we mentioned some of the draft picks too. I know, I know the, the DB they got number one out of LSU wasn't necessarily the, your, your favorite choice for them, but it did address a need. And then um, Lovey Smith being a defensive coach, certainly in his pedigree. I mean, do you see any opportunity for improvement there? Uh, look, the fact that they replaced David Cully with Lovey Smith, you took three steps forward. Just, mm -hmm. You didn't have to change anybody. You took three steps forward. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why there was so much disrespect thrown Lovey's way. The way they hire him, was it kind of hokey and didn't make a whole lot of sense? Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, how you made the choice uh, doesn't necessarily reflect whether or not it was the right choice. Great point. Uh, just think about all the people you've dated in your life, how you decided to date those people, uh, and how did those end? All right, Wh which which one of those was the right choice? So, um, you know, I, I can tell you that uh, you know I met my wife completely by accident. The <laughs> um, horrible story. I was actually going to meet somebody else. Um, who I had kind of hooked up with in college the year before. And she was, you know, she lived in a different state, but she was near like where I lived uh, over the summer, hanging out with a friend. And so a friend of mine and I, we went to go meet them. As we were going to meet them, saw her, saw the other girl. I looked at my friend and I said, okay, change of plans. I want the other girl. <laughs> and of course, the one I was going to meet, I couldn't get her off my lap. So she just wouldn't get off of me. Uh, so it took me two weeks to finally be able to ask the other girl out. I had no intentions of any kind of serious relationship at the time. Had no idea I was going to meet her. 26 years later, uh, we're still together. We've been married for 21 years. So it, it, I, I see the relation there. I don't think Lovey Smith's going to be there for 26 years. No, I don't think so. But you know what? When when your team is is a mess and your team is is in a crisis mode, having someone with experience, having someone who is well respected in the locker room and in every other locker room brings a, a level of order and a level of stability and a level of credibility to your team that it didn't previously have. And every guy in that locker room knows and likes and respects Lovey Smith. And I don't necessarily know that the respect factor was there uh, with David Cohen. I think they knew him. I think they liked him, but I don't think they respected him. I don't think they trusted him as a head coach. And certainly mm -hmm. a lot of David Cully's decisions uh, underlined why they would have a lack of trust in him. I don't think anybody has a lack of trust in Love Smith. 
Yeah, no, I, I I would completely agree with that. And let's be honest, I kind of dig the Santa Claus beard that Lovey Smith's got going nowadays in his advanced age. It's a, it's a nice little touch, you strong know. Beard, strong exactly. beard. I can't grow one of those, man. I can I can barely keep this little patch here that I got. I mean, it's half white, half gray. Uh, it, it's more white and gray than it is brown at this point. And you know, uh, I, I, I'm I sit there and I look at myself and I go, should I just take it off? Don't don't um, get rid of the salt and pepper. Come on now, don't do that, Patrick. I good I, but I also don't want to do the whole like brush in dye thing. I feel like that's like so cheesy. I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, avoid the just for men. Like I said, keep it salt and pepper. We don't just want cracked pepper. We want <laughs> that makes it work. Come on, Pat, work with me here. But um, yeah, man, let's get to let's get to the meat of it. Let's get to the part that people want to want to crucify us about being so mean with. What do you see for the record for the Houston Texans this season, my guy? Uh, look, they won four games last year, and they were a train wreck. Mm -hmm. uh, to think that, you know, if Davis Mills takes some progressions forward, Nico Collins takes some progressions forward, uh, that Marlon Mack is healthy and he, he claims to be, and every report says that he looks and feels like his normal self. Damian Pierce uh, looks like the real deal. Uh, if, if they can get just middle third, even lower middle third play from the from the offensive line, just don't be in the in like the bottom eight, right? They they should be a a much better offensive team. And if Farrell Brown giving up sweet baby rays and canes and in and out uh, <laughs> helps him to catch more passes, and they actually get something out of the tight end position this year. Wow, what? Texans getting a tight end? Are, are we sure? Because <laughs> the last time the Texans got something out of the tight end position, um, I think Owen Daniels was still the tight end. So I was about to say, that's the guy I'm thinking of because it wasn't um it wasn't Griffin. I know that. Um, but yeah, I see that's first of all, I'm living proof that putting down the sweet baby rays helps. All right. Since last time we talked, I'm about 38 pounds down. So that should tell you everything you need to know. Okay. But, um, yeah, I'm with you on that, too. Um, I would also add in um, that the schedule this year, in my mind, is more difficult. Like, last year, I get it. You had the NFC West. That's a tough draw. But meanwhile, this year, the AFC South teams in general, not named the Titans, are a bit better. I'm including, listen, you mentioned Cully to uh, Lovey Smith as an improvement. What about... Um, Urban Meyer to, to 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 Peterson like that's a, that's three steps forward too I would say you know uh, yeah I look Doug Peterson's a pretty good coach and yeah. the fact that he got run out of yeah run out of Philly as fast as he did it's like what the hell is going on here but oh, well, Santa Claus man stuff like nature that. of the beast right Na nature of the of the business uh, I, I do think business at some point that's going to come to a head because if they have any success uh, and people credit Doug Peterson. It's only a matter of time until Trent Balky starts trading away his best players for used footballs because he's got to got to tank the team. You can't be getting only only Trent Balky can get any credit for anything. Of course, mm. uh, I just I don't trust that organization. They seem to anytime they get something right, they screw it up. I mean, that team was was in the AFC title game just a handful of years ago, and and how fast it all came, you know, crumbling down. So I don't. I don't have any trust in that organization. I think Peterson's in a really tough spot, uh, but he certainly has 
the tools in a young quarterback that has all of them. And, you know, a young running back who missed all of last season, who uh, is, is showing why they, they thought he was a first round pick last year. Uh, you know, he's he's certainly showing and flashing out. The Jags lines are still weak and their defense is still mediocre. And uh, I still think the Texans are going to be better than the Jaguars. Okay. And and I think the Texans, I think the Texans realistically are a six win team. See, and, and 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 for me, like I'm close with you, Pat. I got five instead of six, but you mentioned them winning four last year. And and, and Texan fans may be like, you mean they're only one or two games better? I'm like, listen, last year, first of all, um, again, the schedule was much much tougher in my mind last year. All right. You know, they had to deal with the NFC West, like I mentioned. The rest of the division was easier. You and I talked about flux, but there's some improvement in a lot of places. And um the AFC East was also part of the draw. This year, they have the AFC West, where there isn't a single-week quarterback, something that doesn't happen. And the NFC East, albeit a team that's kind of out of its mind, overall, in my opinion, still better than what we're dealing with in the, like, let's say the NFC South, you know, as an example, or certainly the AFC East that they played last year. So long with the short, I'm saying, Pat, is they can get more games with a tougher schedule this year than last. That's a marked improvement either way. So I got five wins. You have six. I mean, we're tracking that they're moving in the right direction, long of the short, right? They're moving the right direction. And I don't necessarily know that, that the number of wins over last year is the sole benchmark sure. for their being improved because they've got more young talent than they did previously. I mean, they went from nothing. Uh, then last year, they got a couple of guys. They got Davis Mills. They got Nico Collins. Uh, this year, they brought in a few more uh, young guys. And, you know, Christian Harris is going to be another one of those guys. And Dirk Stingler is going to be another one of those guys on the defensive on the defensive side of the ball. And, and, and Jalen Petrie. So, you know, they've, they've put young talent in. The issue is it's the NFL and depth matters. And they don't really have any. So if they start to suffer – uh, injuries, specifically multiple injuries to any one particular position group, you're basically playing street-level guys at that position. I mean, uh, for example, uh, you know, John Grenard uh, might be their their best defensive player, certainly their best defensive player on the line. And uh, and Akronko was was graded out well, didn't have as many snaps, but let's say both of those guys were to suffer injuries. The edge position's a disaster. So, you know, if if they were to to, to suffer injuries to Kirksey and Pierre Lewis at the same time, there's not a lot of depth. So it's that's that's kind of where the issue comes in. Is once you get into the meat and potatoes of the season and guys start dealing with injuries and and not even like you know season enders, but let's say you know uh, guy tweaks a hamstring and is out for three or four weeks. Yeah the depth behind them is extremely thin still on this team. So uh, they will be, I, I think if, if they avoid, you know, injury to, you know, most key players, I think they will be competitive. Uh, and I think that they take another step on offense. You know, they were a brutal offensive team last year. Yeah. Uh, I think they'll take some steps on, on the offensive side. They'll be a better football team. And, you know, realistically, if they go six and 11, they're still five games under, but 
they improve two wins. And if you see Davis Mills take some steps forward, you see Nico Collins take some steps forward. Uh, I think you feel better about where you're going. And look, a lot of this season is about is Davis Mills the guy to build around or, you know, do they need to draft a quarterback? If they're drafting in the top three, you probably need to draft a quarterback because if you're drafting in the top three, that means Mills either had a lousy season or was injured. Uh, if you won four or less games, you, you didn't move anywhere from last year. If they are drafting a little further down because they won, uh, you know, anywhere between five and eight games, I think eight games would be absolute max Q. Everything has gone better than could possibly be expected. Uh, Davis Mills is a pro bowler who threw 30 touchdowns and 4,000 yards. <laughs> and at that point, well, he's your guy. But realistically, what is the what you're saying? Well, what is the line? What, what is the line of demarcation for Davis Mills to hit in order for you to say, okay, let's try building around this guy? Because he completed nearly 67% of his passes last year, and he had 16 touchdowns and most of that and down the stretch, what was he, nine touchdowns and, and two picks? I mean, he played great down the stretch, even though Team Random was lousy. So what is the line of demarcation uh, for Davis Mills? Is it 3,500 yards and 27 touchdowns and 12 interceptions? If he has a Matt Schaub-type season, but it's year two for him, does that mean, okay, he can continue to get better and he's a guy that we can build around, or are you just, nope, hell with it, doesn't matter. You, you got to take one of these other guys because they could, could be a star. So honestly, if, if that's the case, if Davis Mills has a good season, I'd rather they continue to try to build Davis Mills. This team has needs all over the team. And uh, drafting the guy that you think is going to be a star quarterback behind uh, no offensive line and no running game, Look at the rookie quarterbacks who have been successful and why they've been successful. Why was Lamar Jackson successful? Nobody ran the ball better than the Baltimore Ravens. Correct. And you never knew who was running it. Was it running back running it? Was Lamar running it? Once he dropped back, teams are so afraid of him running it, guys are wide open all over the field. And, you know, that's a well-run organization. Mm -hmm. It's why he's successful. You know, Justin Herbert plays behind a, a better offensive line than people think. Uh, they've got a solid running game. He's got big weapons on the outside. And I mean, big six foot four type receivers uh, on the outside. Right. And, and, and these are why these guys are successful. You know, why was Patrick Mahomes successful? Well, they had a good offensive line. They had great weapons. Uh, they had a, a young running back who was pretty good. Uh, you know, look what look in the Super Bowl. Well, we don't have any we don't have any tackles. Even Patrick Mahomes cannot overcome an offensive line that is basically two parked cars at tackle. See, so, I, this is why I like talking to you, Pat. I, I, I haven't <laughs> had to say anything, and I'm like, yeah, and then even Pat did bad with O-lines, and then here you come. The only way I correct you is that there was a third starter hurt in that, in that game too, man. No, I'm 100 hundred percent with it down the line, and I'm with you. Uh, it, I, I can make a strong argument depending on how – GMs in front office feel about who might be available, where they are on the board. Davis Mills may be good to, to hold over another time, and you bring in that big next-level talent, somebody that's huge, that's just a playmaker all over the place, like let's say a Justin Javers, Jefferson from Minnesota, or if you can get a guy like that 
Or, you know, maybe that one rookie guy that Joe Burrow liked so much that he demanded they they get, even though it got him killed in the backfield. Somebody like that. You know, he was pretty good. Um, you know, I, I feel like if, they, if they're in that position where Davis Mills can produce, like you're talking about, they're just a playmaker away. And then, hey, you know, Davis Mills is still there. It's a thing. They could keep the uh, 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 cap under control and then bring in that 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 big um, free agent pickup to get something. I, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down there, man. But, Pat, man, listen, you're one of those guys that I love to have on because I have to do so little work. I can do a full length pod with you. I might need to arrange that sometime. That might be a threat or a promise. I don't know, Pat. But at, at any rate, man, tell the people where you can be found, my guy. All right, so you can find me on Twitter at pcreighton one uh, Late hits, ESPN 97.5, 79 Peak Central, uh, ESPN97.5.com, ESPN97.5 app, twitch.tv slash ESPN97.5. Uh, you can also go to ESPN97.5.com, scroll down, you'll find all of the previous shows podcasted, so you can check out uh, everything there. And, uh, you know, if you're out and about uh, or you're at home, you don't have access, you can always, hey, Google, or tell Alexa to play ESPN 97.5, and they will listen. She's so accommodating that way, isn't she? Anyways, listen, Pat, man, great to have you aboard. Looking forward to the next time, and uh, see you soon, my guy. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks. All right, thanks. Crazy, crazy heat from Patrick Creighton there talking Texans football. And listen, uh, something he and I didn't get into, but I think it's worth mentioning, when you're talking about the Houston Texans group, they, uh, whenever Deshaun Watson was brought up in camp, Lovey Smith treated it exactly as it should be done. It's in the past. Ain't all that worried about it. It's a fantastic thing. You know, when you see coaches actually take control, right? Two separate things in here coming into place, you know, to make all that look good. But listen, the next crew up, I got to tell you, this is going to be one of the teams that's going to be a big deal. The Colts it should strongly be argued should have made the playoffs at least last year. And now there's talk that they may even compete overall for the division. That's very interesting, but I'm going to bring in a man who knows about it a bit more than I even do. Of course, I'm talking about my friend, Chris Lewis stepping in from the drop balls pod. And I need to stop hitting the wrong button to get him unmuted here, please. Um, uh, I, think, I think I'm here now. Gotcha. All right. Hey, listen, Lou. thanks for coming in, man. Chris Lewis doing the thing. Welcome aboard, my guy. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. Oh, no. Hey, thanks for being patient. Travis and Patrick both, both <laughs> brought heat. I wasn't quite ready for it. If it were a pizza, the crust would be a little bit too crispy for me. But, you know, hey, good thing I'm on a diet. I'm off a of pizza for a while. <laughs> Chris, man, I'll tell you what. Let me, let me, let me ask you this, because I can make an argument with Philip Rivers when he was there, right? You were a couple plays away from the pocket being broken and old man Rivers being unable to flow through the, the chasm. Ooh, I like that old man Rivers. <laughs> anyway, but um, y'all almost beat Buffalo that year, right? Yep. Matt Ryan coming in with MVP candidate, at least according to the student of the game, Jonathan Taylor at running back last year. Um, being an amazing thing. Matt Ryan hasn't had run support this good in his career that I can think of, right? Like, can, can you? Nope. This is a good combination, right? You got a good line. And and tell me a bit about the, the Colts receiver core, too. That's that's the one I'm interested in. Yeah, so actually today uh, the Colts released their, their unofficial depth chart. 
um, going into the week one preseason game. Um, but right now it has Alec Pierce set as our number three receiver. So we have um, we still have Michael Pittman as the number one. Number two is Paris Campbell. Hopefully the, the consensus for the Colts fans is that Paris Campbell can stay healthy this year. Yeah. That is the consensus. Um, and then you got Alex Pierce or Alec Pierce uh, at number three, then Ashton Doolin at number four. So that's kind of how our receiving core is looking right now. Um, and then we also have, give me a second. Let me bring this up real quick. Then we have um, at number five, I believe is um, Desmond Pat Patman. One of the guys that we drafted out of Washington State back when we drafted Michael Pittman, like what was it, two, two, three years ago? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I know Pittman's the big name. I was just curious as to the others um, that you might be excited about. And But I can make this argument. If this is a run-first team, which I hear Jonathan Taylor, Quentin Nelson, check, you know, you, you don't need a track team necessarily to get the openings. They're, they're going to – Stacking the box, as critical as I am of Matt Ryan, stacking the box against Matt Ryan. I'm saying that out loud, and the defensive mind <laughs> me cringes, right? I mean, that's the point here, yes? Yeah, yeah. Stacking the box against Matt Ryan, you're, you're, you're not going to get away with that. Um, and not to mention, you know, Jonathan Taylor, yeah, we have him. But what I, what I like is the backs that we have behind him. Mm. We have Naheem Hines. And don't be surprised if you see Naheem Hines lining up in the slot sometime this year. Um, don't be surprised if you see Philip Lindsay out there as well, um, toting the rock for, for the Colts as well. So kind of what I think is going to happen is I think we're going to use um, Naheem Hines a lot in the passing game. And then you're going to see Jonathan Taylor and kind of Philip Lindsay kind of split carries. I don't think Jonathan Taylor is going to rush 332 times this year. I think it'll be somewhere between 250, 270. And then you have some other backs that can help out in that um, in carrying the ball and everything. It's, it's kind of to, to not put all the miles on Jonathan Taylor right now. Yeah, I was going to say that's a great thing, too, because, listen, I, I, I'm i a guy who thoroughly enjoyed Priest Holmes. But him having to sling the rock around like he did, carry it like he did, eventually got his neck hurt. He was done. His yeah. his successor, Larry Johnson, fantastic guy. Granted, nobody talks about Willie Shields and Willie Rofe, now Hall of Famers <laughs> having a big part to do with that, but hey, life in the trenches, baby. But he eventually got run into the ground. Sean Alexander, Curtis Martin. I could go on and on. So hearing this the about- The list goes on, man. man. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I mean, I can make a strong argument that the Titans- putting themselves in the situation that they are this season. They might be doing the same thing, Derrick Henry, but our friend Mike Patton, see, there's there's two guys tied to the Mac, Mac, Mike Patton tree with me on this podcast. So again, you know, thanks for coming in. Chris Lewis. <laughs> no problem, oh, so listen, let me, let me take it somewhere else. The defense, Darius Leonard and that group, you know, Darius Leonard's a beast. The rest mm -hmm. of the defense, how you feel about them? So I actually like how our defense is coming along. Um, I know we was on Mike's podcast and we talked about some of the rookies that we drafted and stuff like that. And actually Nick Cross is supposed to be our starting strong safety. Um, and that's that's all because Kari Willis, you know, he decided to retire to, you know, go do his his mission work and everything, which, you know, more power to him for that. Amen. But um, he, he decided to retire. So now that opened up the door for Nick Cross and, Apparently in camp, this dude has been showing up and showing out. So um, I'm interested to see how that's going to look. But I, 
And then you got Julian Blackman coming back from the Achilles injury from last year. And from what I've been seeing in camp and from what I've seen people say, it doesn't look like he's missed a step. Um, he's firing on all cylinders. Then you have, um, I think Quiddy Pay takes a leap this year, especially in this defense with, with uh, Gus Bradley. And then you have Yannick on the other side of him. I think I think we're going to see the Forrest Buckner. I think we're going to see like the beast of the Forrest Buckner like really come out this year. Um, Not that he was bad last I, year, but he, he missed some. No, games. he wasn't. He wasn't bad, but I think this year because in in Gus Bradley's system is more of an attacking. The defensive line is more attacking rather than staying patient. Yeah. So we're going to see a lot of disruption with the Forrest Buckner this season. Um, where he's dis he's disrupting the backfield and he's probably going to be lined up in a three technique so he he's going to get off the ball firing all cylinders too i can't um, i feel compelled to mention zilu dude like when they had buckner against the titans they won the game when they didn't have buckner against the titans lost. they did not win the game <laughs> I, I, it's such a huge thing to stop the run in this division but i mean listen it looks like the Jags might be going run first. I got to tell you about Derrick Henry. And then the Texans, like, okay, they're probably not going to run, but Davis Mills will run for his life at some point, and that old line <laughs> is bad right guard. DeForest Buckner's still huge, and I'm not talking literally. I mean figuratively. Yep, but, exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm excited about our corners too, man. Like, uh, getting Stephon Gilmore was huge. I was um, Yeah, it, that that's huge. It's still – it's still – uh, up in the air who our second corner going to be on the on the boundary but we know we already know Kenny Moore lined up in the slot in the nickel position we already know what he can do but we got Brandon Faceon um on the outside and Isaiah Rogers on the outside so it's still a competition between those two but um I, I, I'm liking what I'm seeing I, I think this defense can be a top five defense this year and by the way I had to point this out as somebody who is proficient in dad jokes as I am one safety leaves for mission work, and the guy that replaces him is named Cross. Come on, man. <laughs> I don't care how I, I could have had no kids and still come up with that dad joke. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> for let's, sure. Let's get to the meat of what the people want to hear the part that they want to yell at me about, about how wrong I am. The Colts. How many wins do you see, my friend? Um, so I, I've gone back and forth with this, but I, I think um, between 11 and 12 wins. Well, no, there's no between. It's either 11 or 12 wins. <laughs> okay. Because well, we can't go 11 and a half, so that's, 11 and 12. <laughs> that, that's for over-unders only, partner. No, I'm going to put you down for 11 because that's what you said first. I have read books that say when it comes to forecasting, it's better to leave, leave a range. So I'll let you do that. You can go on right <laughs> with that. But for, for when I'm doing the number, it's going to be 11 and 6. Um, you know, I think for you and me, the 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 difference is is going to be this year's schedule is just a little bit harder. I think if they it have is. last year's schedule, I'm lockstep with you. That 11 wins sounds about right. Not to mention, if we're being fair, nobody expected the last game of the year. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> I hope Carson Wentz, or, or uh, yeah, Carson Wentz doesn't listen to this podcast, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but playing the AFC West is a horrible out. Um, yeah. Uh, that's that's going to be tough for me. I do see you sweeping the Texans. Duh. Um, I see a split with the remaining teams. I think you're going to split one with Jacks. I think they're going to surprise some people because they're completely different than they were. I, I, you don't have to agree. It's okay. We're, we're sweeping the Jacks this year. It, we <laughs> we got to. Here's the good news. That's one. And hey, I'm not accounting for vengeance. That's a great point by you, C. Lou. <laughs> 
Um, but that's only one of two game difference we have. I have them at nine wins. If I'm wrong, I'm not hurt by it. I think this is how close it is for the Colts this year. It's it's a matter of, you know, do can Matt Ryan with that receiver core take the most advantage of what play action is going to come? I, I think we can agree on that uh, securely. Um, you know, I, I, th- I have here in parentheses too, you mentioned the Jags, that Steelers game and who wins that's going to be huge. The Steelers are very confusing to me because I have no idea what's going to happen with that offense. I don't think anybody does. We just know that defense is amazing. And if all of a sudden, you know, if, if they, if, if the Steelers do to them, what the Jags did and neutralize them and suddenly there's no answer, that's a problematic game. Um, but 11 wins is a fine pick. I, I am not going to suggest to HR that you get drug tested for it. I, I'm not knocking it. Um, oh, yeah, man. Silu, strong segment. We're going to be talking more Colts throughout the season. I'd like to have you on again in the regular season as things go along because if the Colts make that noise, I want you to be able to chirp along with them. That's all. Oh, you, you, already, you already know I'm going to go off. <laughs> I know what time it is. Exactly. But, hey, Silu, tell the world we can be found. So y'all can find me on Twitter um, at DropBallsPod. Yeah, that's mostly where I be at. I, I be on Twitter. I talk my mess on Twitter. Have a little bit of fun. I've I've been doing lately leading up to the football season. Been doing a lot of um, would you rather take this player or this player in their prime? So y'all be sure to follow me there. Go uh, enjoy that content. But you can also find Drop Balls Podcast on any major podcast platform, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. Um, Apple Podcasts, all of that. And I don't really, I'm a Colts fan. I don't necessarily cover the Colts, but we, I talk about everything. I, I enjoy football, enjoy basketball, baseball. We talk about everything on there. I see your New York Yankees and Baltimore Ravens swag in the back there. And, and oh, look, Spider Man. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Hey, listen. Yeah, man. my son, my son's a Ravens fan. I'm a Yankees fan. So I had to buy that for him. He loves Lamar Jackson. I mean, how can you not? So. <laughs> you and Brandon Howard, we're gonna have to have to talk about L Jack and all that's going because because I that's it. We'll bring that up on the next pod, Simu, about how I fell, uh, how I wasn't convinced in college and then fell in love with one Lamar Demetrius Jackson. That's right, he gets middle name treatment on this show. Anyways, man, Chris Lewis, C. Lou, Drop Balls Pod, man. Listen, thank you for being patient. I know Travis and Patrick brought that heat. You're so much more succinct. Maybe they need to take lessons. You just got right to the yeah, point. Yeah, I, I just I just be chilling, man. I, I get to the point. <laughs> See, hey, hey, if they say a quality you need to have to be present, uh, a president is I'd like to have a beer with you, you might get nominated coming up. Anyways, sure. <laughs> thanks for coming aboard. There will be a next time. But until then, my man, thank you very much. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. And hey, listen, when it comes to gaining ground and tearing up field, one thinks of the Titans in their run game. And when you're talking about gaining ground and tearing up field, it's only a pro you have a man known as the general to lead the charge and talking about the Tennessee Titans. He'll actually be there in camp here pretty soon with Tennessee among all the long list of things he does. I'm not going to go through the long list. I'll let him do it later because it's long. You do stuff, Mike Patton. Welcome aboard. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Uh, appreciate the, uh, the nice entry. <laughs> and appreciate that you or intro and, i should say yeah hey appreciate that you earn it but by the way i can't help but point out the irony that i call you general and say welcome aboard that's an admiral hello <laughs> anyways man listen 
talking about admirals, you still have that talent here. Tell, come take me through these trepidatious waters of the Titans offseason. AJ Brown and all that going. The defense, I'm not for or against. I'm still kind of trying to figure things out. Get me through some of these Titans question marks. Go ahead and like, because I'll put it this way. This time <laughs> last year, the conversation we had is, hey, they got Julio Jones and they're building to try to do offense and try to compete with the Chiefs. Did they forget to compete in their own division? Which, as it turned out, they didn't. They made, they won it. But, you know, with this new look offense, a lot of people after the playoff game with Ryan Tannehill, which I think some people are just making a little too much noise about, um, there's a lot of trepidation on the offense there. Can you calm their fears, my friend? Uh, let me see what I can do. That's but right. uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, as far as offense, of course, the question mark is, is Derek Henry healthy? Uh, who's playing wide receiver? The tight end position is Austin Hooper going to revert back. Chief Quanku is going to be for real. Offensive line, we lose Roger Saffold. What are we going to do? Well, I'll <laughs> tell you this. As far as offensively, Robert Woods is, is looking very, very good. He's actually ahead of schedule. Does his shed the knee brace for training camp? He's doing well. Traylon Burks, all the fear and trepidation of him playing wide receiver, and he's out of shape. And oh my God, he looks so bad. He's looked great during camp. So I think people can calm down there and learn that, hey, it's an all-season for a reason. When the bright lights are on, I believe he'll be ready. Uh, as far as, you know, Derrick Henry, he's pretty – you can tell he's he's got a, chip, a little bit of a chip or he's a little little more uh, motivated than usual. Not to say that he's not motivated but every season, but he seems a little bit more motivated than usual because, you know, people are talking about his foot. People are really not talking about his best back in the field. And I think that's that's eating at him a little bit and, Plus, the big fact, he's playing for maybe a contract extension this off this season. See that you ain't so, got to talk about playing harder. That is, it, there's there's studies that always rubs a little funk on it. There, you know what I'm saying? That's right. That's right. And I mean, I think the offensive wise, they'll be fine. Defensively, I think the Titans' defense, honestly, they're returning a ton of players that they had the previous season. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the secondary, of course, they do have. You know, some questions at the cornerback uh, position. I think Roger McCurry will definitely factor in there. Uh, of course, Caleb Farley's coming back from uh, a, uh, a torn ACL. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Of course, you know, you do have arguably the best safety in the NFL uh, and Kevin Byard back there. And defensively, you've got Autry, you've got Landry, you got Dupree, you got the second best defensive tackle in, uh, in the NFL and Jeffrey Simmons. I mean, you've got a pretty stacked defense that could potentially be a, a top five in its apex. So the Titans are not as bad as media will let you believe. I mean, I'll be honest. I come out against the Titans because every time I pick them, they break me, Mike. <laughs> they break me. I picked you. I picked you. I shouldn't say you. I picked those Titans to beat the Bengals, and look what happened. Now, maybe I'm a jinx. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe <laughs> Titans fans just need me to keep hating, and, and if that's what they need, I will be magnanimous enough in the current purview to do so. I'm joking. But, no, I, and, and, and I find it fascinating. You, I, I forgot about the, the defensive tackle uh, factor that they have there um, in Tennessee, and, and it's interesting. You have that there with the Titans, and then Buckner – with Indianapolis, it's very interesting how closely structured these two teams are becoming. Not an accident. Right. They're your top two guys, yeah? That's well, definitely not an accident that these two teams are both constructed around the run and that they both depend upon their defense in the running game. It's, it's basically 
Who's going to be the big bully in the AFC South? Is it going to be the Colts or is it going to be the Titans? Who is it going to be and who's going to have it out? But, you know, the, 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 I would say the plus for the Colts this year is that they do face the Titans earlier in the season as opposed to late in the season, which I think the Titans will be better later in the season than they are in the beginning of the season. You think there's more of an adjustment factor for the Titans to get run, uh, right earlier on? Is that it? or Just just a lot of different pieces. You have uh, two new tight ends. More than likely, in my opinion, I think that Che Kwanku and Austin Hooper will end up being the top two tight end weapons. You have Robert Woods, who's a brand new uh, weapon. You have Traylon Burks. I mean, Nick uh, Akini, uh, Akini Westbrook is, is their leading returning receiver, and he was like a third or fourth wide receiver on the team last year. So, you know, they have a lot of turnover in those aspects. And then, of course, you know, of course, you have to get things going with the offensive line. Taylor Wands back healthy this year, and he's got some things to prove as well. This team just basically has a chip on their shoulder. And the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that when nobody counts on the Titans to play well or do well, and when they have a chip on their shoulder, that's when you get the best version of the Tennessee Titans. See, you said it yourself. Like you, you count on them, and all of, you can't—you you rule them out, and then suddenly, hey, we're still here. I'm like, how, guys? Help me out. Just, just—I want to believe. You just don't let me. I, no, I, I joke. No, I've every, I, I, I totally get everything you're telling me about there. There is one concern I have though with the makeup of this particular team, and 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 you can tell me if if this is pure media silliness or if there's some some worry to it. But when it comes to Derrick Henry, obviously he had the foot injury last year. Still played pretty well for a guy with a plate in his foot. I'll give him credit for that late this season for sure. But I feel like going into this year, I'm worried about him and the possibility of the Sean Alexander paradigm, right, where they're going to start to run him into the ground a little bit. He might be asking him a bit too much at this point in his career to get this many reps and then expect him to be as useful in the next season or two over and above. What say you on that topic? Well, that's a that's a definitely a valid concern with uh, him them giving him the ball maybe too many times. But also another thing that that not a lot of pe- people are thinking about is the versatility of this offense. You got Chico Park who can line up in the backfield. He can line up much like Jonathan Smith did for the for the Titans. He can line up anywhere. You have Robert Woods who with the Rams lined up in the backfield, took handback sweeps, all those different things. Um, you have Traylon Burks who lined up in different places as well. So the versatility of this offense may do two things, create different looks for Derrick Henry when he's running running the football, and also may relieve uh, him of being just the person that, hey, he's the central focus. We have to give it to him 30 times. We have, But, you know, they have all these other different weapons they can get involved now, which last year, if you look at their tight end position, it was next to Neil. You had Derrick Henry back there, of course, running the football, but you had uh, Julio Jones, who was in and out of the lineup. You had A.J. Brown, who missed some games. You had a 91 total players they used last year, and they're only consistent for most of it was Derrick Henry until he got hurt. So right. that's where I think this team actually is can give you more different looks and more there are more different guys that can actually make plays. And that's one very underrated aspect of you know anything that anyone is talking about when it comes to the Titans going into this season. Well, hey, I'm glad Mike Patton, the general, is leading the charge on reminding everybody of that because I'll be honest, I let it sleep a little bit too much too. That's a good point when it comes to the injury bug and people coming back. And, hey, I think Tannehill is still a solid option. I think too many people are banging on him. You know, what's, you know, I, I have been, I was critical of certainly his performance in that game, 
But considering how much, how you say, talent wasn't in place there, all it takes is little factors in playoff games for that to happen, and it happened more than once with the three interceptions there, too. No, I get that all the way around. But um, as somebody who attended Titans OTAs and has had an opportunity to see certain things happen, I know he probably won't get a lot of meaningful time during the season. But, man, listen, when it comes to Titans preseason, I'm excited to see Malik Willis and what he's going to do. I covered him a couple times in the, Liber- in the Liberty – or not the Liberty Bowl. He's with Liberty, but he was at the Cure Bowl here in Orlando. I got to see him a couple times. I like the kid. He seems to be a good guy. He's an excellent athlete. He's a good enough passer to where he can develop into being one that could <clears throat> be a pretty solid guy when it's time for Tannehill to hang it up. What say you of Malik Willis so far, my man? What do you think? Well, I like the talent-wise. That talent, I like him very much talent-wise. He can throw the football. He, he's, you know, of course, you know, accuracy issues or, or things like that. But, you know, that's going to come along and he's going to be fine because he's his primary job now is to do football and not go to school and play football. So those, those things will, will get worked out. But the thing I, I'm looking at for him is the command of the offense uh, because at Liberty, of course, you know, it wasn't like he got called upon to actually call the plays, do those different things or whatever. He was always looking at the sideline. In the NFL, you can't always look to the sideline for the sideline to help you. So that's kind of the the growth I'm looking for in him to see and kind of get the right play call, get the offense organized, and be the manager of the offense that's able to make plays and the extension of the coach as well. So I think as the season goes along, he'll gain more knowledge there. He's already showing strides as well. Um, I did talk to him, and I, I talked to him about his when he, when he first got here about his throwing uh, motion, and I did see some immediate changes there, of course. You know, he kind of laughed it off and said he hadn't done anything. But, you know, it just was evident that, you know, he, things had changed and he's a quick learner and a quick study. So I, I definitely think, you know, once he kind of gets in the offense, picks up things, kind of gets used to kind of calling the shots and seeing different things and what adjustments he needs to make, he'll be just fine. And then also one thing that's going to help him is Logan Woodside and Ryan Tenney will actually both in his ear when he asks questions. So, you know, contrary to what people believe, Ryan Tenney is, is actually I- saying things to him. He said he's done his job. That means he hates him. I hope I hope you appreciate me making fun of the uh, how you say lame stream on that front. Anyway, <laughs> no, hey man, listen, you take care of business like you do. Let me let me be silly. You, you you're the solid analyst. I'm all right with that, man. Listen, <laughs> no, but 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 let me take it to it, man. Um, me, the part that people will get the most up in arms about is what I'm going to ask you. The Titans, what's the win-loss record you see this year, my friend? I'll go 10-7 and seven with the uh, Tennessee Titans this year. Uh, I think, you know, of course, they'll they'll get it going as the season goes along. They'll make the playoffs as a wild card. Um, I don't have them winning the division right now. I have the Colts winning the division 11-6 and six because they see the Colts early in the season. That's the one thing I'm looking at. So if they saw them later in the season, I'd say they split and Things like they they still going to split, but it's just going to be a little bit different. And I think that's going to be kind of the cause of the concern early, maybe, but late. I think they'll figure it out and make the postseason and hit their stride like they did when Ryan Tannehill first was the starting quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. And maybe, who knows, just maybe they go on a playoff run. I mean, hey, hey, well, let me let let me put it this way. Titans fans will be frustrated. How could you say we won't win in the division? Let me let me give them some let me give them something to go home happy with. They win the revenge game against the Bengals, right? 
Yes, I think they win that game. <laughs> See, that, I knew I knew that's how you got to ten. You know how I knew that, General? That's how I got to ten. <laughs> match at 10 and 7 I would say the thing about great minds but far be it from me to take away from this talented man that's on your stage right uh, here on the pod here General great segment there'll be more I think there'll be a lot of noise in the AFC South I think there's going to be a lot going on I'll bring on Travis for comedy I'll bring on Patrick because he's great at what he does I'll bring on C. Luke because he too is great at what he does but I'll bring you on to thank you for introducing me to more than half of the crew tonight. <laughs> so thank you for that, my man. Um, and of course, the great knowledge you brought. Looking forward to seeing you at camp on the 13th and 14th. But tell the people where they can find your work at camp, your novels, anything, the long list. I got time. I'll go ahead, man. Tell the people. Oh, boy. Well, you can actually, uh, of course, find me on a podcast near you at uh, Touring the ASC South. Uh, it would be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Iron Radio, Google Podcasts, wherever you think of. I'm probably there. Amazon Music, too. Um, also, um, <clears throat> you can find me writing at either the Tennessee uh, Tribune or the Nashville Voice uh, on the Tennessee Titans or other things as well. You never know. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, man. Listen. Mike, thanks for coming aboard. Good general. I salute you and your performance tonight. Didn't call you, didn't, didn't tell you to sail well or anything. There's no <laughs> there's no admiral, just admiration whenever Mike Pat comes aboard the student game pod. Thanks for coming in, my man. And uh there will be a next time, I hope. Yeah, just let me know and I'll I'll come on through. See, that's what there's no there's no silliness, there's no joke. She's like, Yes, Kyle, I will be there. And this is that's I, I had a stressful day at work today too. And now you closing out my pod, my shoulders are dropping everything. It's smooth jazz. <laughs> Anyways, Mike, thanks for coming aboard and I'll catch you next time, my friend. Yes, sir. All right. Listen, Mike Patton being a Titan in his own right, talking Titans with me here. And of course, that'll wrap it up on this AFC South edition of the student of the game. And you know, say what you will. I know I've I've made statements about how bad the AFC South has been in the past, but I don't think they're the worst division in football anymore, which if you look at it, it's quite an improvement. That's reserved for the a uh, for the NFC. They have at least two divisions, in my opinion, that are worse. It's a whole other conversation, but I can tell you this in a couple weeks, we'll be talking about one of them in the NFC East. Oh no, I gave it away. Uh, <laughs> but um, that's of course two weeks. That'll be the last Tuesday, we're going to be moving to Wednesday soon enough here on the uh, on the pod for the uh, live portion there. Of course, we'll still be on the podcasts everywhere we are currently after that. So, you know, don't worry so much about that. But with next week coming up, August, actually, no, I'm all wrong. It is the NFC East. That's right. My birthday. We're covering the AFC, or NFC East. Oh, boy, what a mixed bag of a birthday gift. Anyways, so with that in mind, thanks, of course, to Travis Holmes, Patrick Hayton, Chris Lewis, and Mike Patton for helping me tour the AFC South. That's right. I just plugged your show there, Mike. I hope that's all good. And um, look out next week. We'll have plenty of fun times talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, talking about the NFC, or excuse me, NFC East with Carita Parks. Brandon Pemberton, and of course, Big Jim Neese of the Huddle Up Podcast, the boss man himself for the YouTube channel, and of course, 
EJ Christian will tag along with him as a Cowboys fan. So both of them can trash the Giants in that portion of the segment. But listen, thank you all for coming aboard. Hope you enjoyed the pod and the times uh, here. And uh, until next time, everybody, if I can get my mouse right, until, until next time, everybody, class dismissed.